0: Beatport presents, Beatport presents, Beatport presents, Beatport presents,
1: Decoding the Music Industry.
2: Um, hi everyone and uh, thank you all for coming and uh, thank you for Beatport for hosting this panel tonight and inviting uh, Love Child to do it. Ooh. And um, yeah, so first of all, thank you everyone and um, thank you to the panelists. Um, Mia, and Grace, and Nguyen, and uh, the panel uh, moderator, Jin. Um, I'm going to, um, yeah, just pass the mic over to Jin, really, who's going to lead proceedings from here on. And, yeah, thank you for coming. Hello,
3: hello. Hello. Um, so I'm going to let every panelist introduce themselves, but I just want to preface by saying that we're going to have a and a at the very end. So if you want to save some of your questions, think about anything you want to ask, ask, them, ask the panelists. Um, so if we could just begin by introducing yourself. Um, what? how'd you come into the music industry and where are you working now in in regards to the music industry if we start with maya and then come down to when
0: thanks okay hello everyone i'm maya oh and your
3: pronouns as well please thank Uh, you
0: uh she her um first and foremost i'm an extremely extremely very bad bitch um (laughs) Secondly, I am a music artist, a DJ, and I currently produce alongside some of my best friends, the Party Pussy Palace.
1: Hi, loves. So you have to excuse my voice. I'm kind of ill. I've got my glamour pack of lozenges, Lemsip and paracetamols for tonight. So my voice might go halfway through. So I'm Grace. I started a DJ with a DIY sound system. I'm older, than you, I'm older than I look, yeah, back in the late 80s. There is a film you can see me in. I'm not, blind, I'm not hyping it. Free Party, a documentary. It's a great film to see what the 90s were like. <laughs> yes, yeah, so the ticket it, is coming out next year. Um, I'm now resident at Adonis, NYC Down Low, DJ around town. I produce, and I've got an album coming when I finish it. <laughs> <laughs>
4: kind of incredible Uh, my name is Moen I'm a sound designer I'm a DJ I'm a producer um, and an educator Uh, I've been doing all these things for so many years it's hard to remember how I started but um yeah I DJ around London I think at the moment I'm mostly interested in kind of sound design and what that means in different kinds of spaces whether that's theatre live performance and then I'm always playing tunes and producing tunes and kind of putting them out in the world uh yeah that's me thank you guys
3: And My name is Jin. I am a DJ, and event producer, Um, I work primarily in LGBT community creating safe spaces for us to party and get together and have conversations. I'm also a resident of Love Child, Um, Love Child is a party brand and community. Uh, We run parties inside and outside of Fabric, as well as talks like this one, and so we're really honored to be here today at at Beatport. Um, So we're just going to start the panel off first. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, on a record label. You can find it on Bandcamp, actually. Josh Cafe has got most of his, most of his releases on there. Um, so we're going to start the panel off first, just lightly, by asking you what are your inspirations. I know you've been working in the music industry for quite some time. It could just be uh, people, places or experiences. Feel free to give us some, you know, anecdotes or whatever. <laughs>
0: Um, I'm not just saying this because of the context of this panel, but my inspiration really is the club. I feel like I have been at my highest in the club, pardon the pun. I've also been at my lowest and, and used the club as therapy. And um, you hear so many stories in the club and make so many connections. And I think it can be political and it can be romantic and it can be like a a family space. It can be sexy. It can be all the things that you need to draw inspiration from. So for me, I really, really, for the past like 10 years of my life, have been really drawing inspiration from the club.
1: Okay, I'm going to take that. Yeah. It is this family thing. I'll share that with you. Like we had the DIY Sound System crew we feel like our parties outside castlemore you will have seen without talking too much about back then i've now got two crews cuz i've got the adonis crew as well <laughs> check me out but i think it's what drives us all i mean we're not here to dance on our own are we with our buds in a you know in a field we're here to dance with friends and create a space like you're saying a warm inclusive space we're all human beings that's what we need isn't it to be fulfilled on a Saturday or a Friday or a Sunday at Love Child, as it may be. <laughs> so I think for me, it's commu- the community. I mean, I know it's a bit trite and a bit like, oh, the community, but it is, isn't it? We need to do it, to me, it's doing it
4: together. I mean, I don't want to be cheesy and be like, I agree with all those things, but like, don't I really do. And I feel like, <laughs> like the only added thing is, because I, I obviously do a lot of different kinds of things, and I think my through line is just kind of, Trying to center marginalized voices and trying to uplift marginalized stories and trying to like give queer people spaces and give people queer people like energy and focus, um, give all the kinds of people that I really, really back in my community. Just kind of either if they don't feel seen, try and always like embody that and do that. Um, but I think that comes from like the the dance floor, the club, like that's where I fell in love with music, that's where it came, like that's where all of my excitement comes from, is like. All those things you mentioned that happen on the dance floor, I think it's like an ethos that goes into your body. And then I go out and do a bunch of things, but it's all about the same sort of thing. It's about the thing that we get to experience on a dance floor. How do we make that something that happens out in the world, I guess? So I guess I, my inspiration is community and then all the great things that you said.
3: Wow. I know that in like many ways we're all founders of some space space. Um, for people who identify like us or in, in it created at a time where that particular space was necessary. I know, Grace, you founded uh, DIY Sound System in 1989. And I guess we can't really talk about club culture now without talking about you know, rave culture historically. Um, I would love if you could share with us some of your um, experiences, like what has changed for, in rave culture from then and now uh, for better or worse. Um, and maybe just speak to a little bit about DIY sound system as well?
1: Sure. I mean, I guess um, what's changed is things are not as cheap as they were. We, <laughs> You know what I mean? Well, we used to always charge £6, £8 for an all-night, and we did that for about 15 years, and so that was till 6 in the morning. Uh, we always kept our prices down, and we always used – I don't know how it works at Pussy Pounds, but we always used to earn, take, like, £50 each. So that's what made the money for everything else. So... But again, it's a similar kind of thing. We we actually went to a few parties, and there was a. it was the birth. It was 1989, so rave culture, the first, second, whatever they called it. But the ones that came to Nottingham, where I lived, I first went to the Hacienda in Manchester, so it was a privilege, in a way, to go to that one first. But they were crap, basically. It was why we called DIY, what we can do it ourselves. So I think the best things we really did, there was a lot of us, there was about a crew of about 30. You mentioned you've got like look at your office party. Which I was thinking very impressive. <laughs> tonight. Nice, there was 30 of us. But then when we went to San Francisco, so we had the money to rent an apartment. So we said to everyone, because it's not cheap once you get there. So then we had 39 of us staying in a three-bedroom apartment. <laughs> so you can imagine what that was like. But we hadn't said to anyone, there's going to be 39 people in the apartment. <laughs> so no one could moan if you got in after four, there was nowhere to sleep. So you had to stay up until someone got up. So it's that kind of thing. You know, we went to Amsterdam for quite a few New Year's. And we once stayed in, I think, a Nova Tell. And you can imagine what happened to the minibars. <laughs> and then in the end, we were in the coach driving. There's other people with clipboards coming out. We're just like, I think you better drive off. <laughs> so it's, you know, we've had some brilliant, chaotic, crazy times. I mean, that's the best part of it all so what then, what has changed now I mean there are still things going you know so it's good you've got your bigger institutions trying to do different things you have got your drum sheds taking it completely somewhere else so it's kind of like it's what I guess we all touched on it's remembering we all everyone in the room I presume at some point went out and had an epiphany of whatever you want to call it and thought oh actually this is what I like doing dancing in a loud room." with Pals, um, it's remembering that, isn't it, really? That back then, like I said, when well, I go with the film, if you watch the film, it captures the naive energy of it beautifully, which is kind of, a lot of people are saying, what was it like back then? Is it the same now? <laughs> and it's like, it's not going to be the same because now it's, it's UK-wide, but back then it was UK-wide, but it was a new thing that people were discovering. Everyone kind of knows about festivals and stuff now. So it's within that, you need to make it special, for you, I guess, is the difference. You know, everyone goes to the festival, don't they, pretty much now. It's a rite of passage, isn't it, I think? You, you, you kind of go, don't you, when you're 20, whatever, tell your family, I'm going. Whereas back then it, was, it wasn't it was that. So now it's a bit more like everyone knows where everything is. So that's the difference, I think.
3: Yeah, and then the impact of, obviously, social media having an impact on how um, accessible everything has become. Um I'd actually, uh, it it draws in a lot with uh, Pussy Palace and how you've kind of drawn a lot of Gen Zs into uh, Pussy Palace. I would love to hear from you, Maya, a little bit about your work as a culture producer, um, how you got into Pussy Palace and where you see Pussy Palace, as well as yourself as a culture producer, having the most impact um, in the music industry, as well as like club culture and just QDB community.
0: (laughs) Um, I think in terms of impact, you see it everywhere in the most random places. Like I will end up sometimes because me, I love I love the trade, I love to be around sexy guys, so <laughs> babies. So I will sometimes end up at the most straightest cisgendered race ever and find little policies stuck up saying, Oh, we don't um tolerate bad vibes. If you give, if you have bad vibes, you'll get kicked out. And I'm like, oh, that is Pussy Palace. That is like Pussy Palace's policy basically repurposed into language that that is accessible to that community that it serves. And and you know, the impact is right there. And I think that's such a beautiful thing because, you know, years ago when Nadine first, first came came with the idea of the policy and was like, this is what we really need to implement. And me coming on a little bit later and really trying to understand it and stuff, like just seeing the growth from then to now is like really quite overwhelming sometimes. And I think that the impact has has, has far outreached our actual community of like queer, black and brown parties. I think it's actually done way more. Um, but funnily enough we don't often get credited. Not that I'm asking for it all the time, but I do think that that is something that club culture and rave culture is not absolved of. I think queer people, trans people, black people, brown people, they they still often are not, yeah, credited for their work, for their sounds, for... For the music that they've created, you know, so the impact is definitely there, but it still very much feels, I guess, if we're talking about Pussy Palace in the context of today versus the context of like, how long has it been out the house now? Like eight years versus versus like seven years ago when I first first joined. I would say, yeah, the impact's there, the growth is there, but it's still, it's st- we're still fighting. To get the recognition that we not only as Pussy Palace, but the the talented DJs in our community, the talented producers in our community, the talented just minds in our community, um, we're still fighting to get that kind of recognition that we that we really deserve. And um, <clears throat> in terms of how I found myself in Pussy Palace, I was. Uh, bisexual man <laughs> that stumbled upon it um like in a desperate need to find community and it really really saved my life because it was the only it was the first time in my life that I had been in a space and felt like oh I can be 100% myself here and not feel like that puts me at risk you know I can be Brown, I can be femme, I can be a hoe, and all of these things are very much encouraged, you know what I mean? Like, and celebrated. So that. When I when I when I found when I stumbled upon it, I volunteered as like a what we used to call badge bitches, which are the people that go around. They wear the little badges and they basically just kick all the gross men out. Um, so, baby, I was there. I was kicking them out, getting numbers at the same time. It was a key. Um, <laughs> I'll see you around the back, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> Um So yeah, it was the perfect little little role for me, and then just I guess because of the way that it saved me in itself, just the space that, that, that it was um, I just became so passionate about it and then managed to claw my way into the core team, you know, and it's kind of it's been history ever since, but yeah, I forgot what the initial question was, but Bigger Pussy Palace <laughs> <laughs>
3: No, that was that was really great. Um, I remember when Pussy Palace started, me and Wen also had started a night called Gold Snap and we had BBZ as well, yes. um, big up to you. And um, I remember back then we created it because there was a need for spaces that was specifically for people who identified like us, QDB Park. And we also had an emphasis on creating a kind of policy, which is where you get Bad britches and your people there to, uh, I guess, in some ways, take care of the space within the club to make sure that we're adhering to care and consideration at all times. Um, how important do you feel is, or ha- well, has the safer spaces policies been? in club culture and do you feel grace that that is like that safer spaces policies or like some kind of like door policy has had a positive impact on club club spaces specifically um for you know lgbt
1: communities um it's a tricky. it depends entirely where you go i think doesn't it i think going back to the free parties we ran they were self-governing and they were inclusive They were predominantly white gatherings, to be honest, not exclusively so. But that was raving culture back then. Outside of London, wasn't as diverse as it is now. So they were safe space before we call the safe space safe space now. I think the tricky thing is, like, you can we can all look at someone and a talented or you know a good door person can recognise a dickhead or twat or excuse my language. But you know we can all tell, can't we? Someone at the bus stop is a bit of a weirdo. We all know. So rules don't always guarantee it. So it's a bit more like, I think the rise of welfare, in fact, Gabe over there has pointed this out. Welfare, I think, is a good thing, isn't it? Because welfare are friendly. Like it' still tell you off for doing a line in the corner, but they're just going to sp- tell you off. Whereas security are like, hmm. So I think the rise of welfare is the best thing because there they are, welfaring about. They might occasionally come over and ask you something, look, I'm fine. You know what I mean? But I think... Door policies only go so far. You know what I mean, really? It's more policing, or the police, let's not use that word, but it's monitoring it in. So I think welfare is the the way forward. You need people who know what they're doing around because anyone can sneak in, in a group of people. People put their mind to it, they can get in anywhere. So I think policy is good, but it's making, yeah, it's just keeping an eye on people.
0: Yeah, and I think, um, to your point, there's been so much... I think what we're seeing is growth you know like five years ago it was super cool and and like the best thing you could do to to have a safe space policy now for example at Pussy Palace we don't use the word safe space we don't even like safer we prefer intentional because it's like bro you can never guarantee safety so I think that what we're seeing is just as we have throughout time the development of like club culture and it catering to the needs of of the marginalized people that that these spaces represent. You know that always is on the labour of, of trans people, queer people, black people, brown people, usually. So, yeah, I feel like, to Gracie's point, for example, like, you know, there were safer space policies happening before they were called safer space policies. And then suddenly, you know, and then, like, places, places like Pussy Palace and other places around the world just... For, formatted it into something that you can put on instagram and kind of spread it around and then you know as the world is kind of calling all their spaces safe safe space parties now it's like other people are now saying actually safe space safe that language that we might have initially stood by doesn't even make sense anymore you know so i think it's all about like embracing the growth and also embracing the fact that we might people might not always get it right the first time and I think we're seeing that as well with the rise of like safer space policies and stuff like that across clubland widely there's a lot of parties especially straight ones and cis ones that are having policies but not doing the work to actually protect the communities that they claim that they're protecting. You know, we at Pussy Palace, for example, we don't just have a policy, posted online and call it a day. We have extensive training with our PP support, who used to be called badge bitches. We have team briefs every single party with every single member of staff that's working on the night. No matter where we are, we really, really make sure that that is hammered home. We have endless meetings before parties with all the venues to make sure they understand our ethos on our policy. And I just think that a lot of parties, a lot of mostly like straight parties, are saying, Oh, this is like a safe space, but they're not doing half of that work. So hopefully with the growth of club culture, like I said, we'll see them start to realise that it takes more than posting something online.
3: No, absolutely. And um we're actually going to come back to a question later on about what are some of your favorite or most impactful venues or venues that you like to work with the most? Because I also really want to shout them out, but also talk about what makes them safe, what makes them inclusive, what makes them secure. But I actually just want to jump quickly to Moen um, to ask about your work in sound design and specifically um, as an educator creating um opportunities for marginalized communities to learn about sound design um I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what sound design means to you in clubs and how you relate um, yourself as an educator to sound design um in regards to the landscape of trans liberation visibility and identity
4: I mean I might lose the thread I can repeat anything (laughs) I I kind Um, of But I feel a little bit like just to kind of like acknowledge all the things that you've been saying. Something that I feel quite deeply is like part of the reason why we don't see sort of like more cis and straight venues doing this is because there's no sense of lived experience. And so there's no sense of urgency and prioritisation of that need. Um, So I personally just like have changed my perspective, have changed my like where I zero in. And I'm more interested in uh, a club culture, a club scene that's just full more of artists that are queer, that are black, that are QTB pop. and my interest is in how do I make that happen, like we can create spaces but I also want to see just like a never ending stream of artists coming up, artists doing big stuff, artists being like at the, like right at the centre of what's great um, so I, I think that the spaces are great and I really appreciate like Pussy Palace Big Up Pussy Palace, I love that because as Jin was saying we kind of Towards the beginning of Pussy Palace, there was like a few cutie pop like um, collectives and we were putting things on together. And I think part of how I've managed to then go off and do more things like sound design is because I feel like something is in really good hands with Pussy Palace. It's like, oh, we can go do other stuff. Um, And so then I've kind of pivoted towards sound design and that sort of thing, um, which is a natural kind of pivot towards just learning fuck tons about everything learning you know, like fuck tons about sound about technical things about the craft of djing craft of producing the craft of producing sound in real spaces um which is cuz at my heart I'm an artist and a nerd so like I'm going to be interested in that but then part of me is like part of why I'm doing that is cuz I then want to go into spaces and be like okay a lot of us who shouldn't have this knowledge don't get it because when we try and get it we get it from institutions that can't that by definition probably can't create space for us. So I actively then think, okay, education is a big part of that. What can I teach? I can teach DJing, I can teach... All, from the sense that like I really want to address the this, this systemic problem of that. I want it to be like, you know what? You don't have to go to these institutions. Here's the back door, here's all the knowledge that you need, here's all the things that we can do, that's what it is. Um, so that's kind of tacked onto that, because I feel like there's, there's like some of us who are in this, I call it the struggle, because I think it is the struggle, who we, we have our places in it, and I think Pussy Palace is holding that space really well. And then the thing that I'm interested in is, how can we just keep filling it and keep giving people the things that they need to like be more involved in it so they can have the space and they can create the space and they can learn how to participate in the space in different ways, like creatively as artists. Um, there was a bit about sound design. Oh, so sound design in clubs. <laughs> Um, so sound design means a lot of things, but I think in the club environment, it's specifically about like the infrastructure and like how are we how are we playing our music back? What system does it sound like? What's the space like? Like how are we heightening the experience for like an audience? And so I'm really, really interested in that. And so the bit that I'm currently more interested in is like, so we've all talked about how on the dance floor, you have this kind of like transformative, we've all had that, you said that profound moment, you're like, we've all had that. Um, and for me, you know, it's like that bass is kicking, that beat is kicking, I'm in a particular space of freedom. And now I'm like, it's 2023 or whatever. Like, how can technology make that space even more transformative? How can we have bigger, bigger experiences? How can we like be on this dance floor and be like, I didn't know I could experience music so amazingly. Like, that's where I'm interested. In. And I think that's when I've crossed into the universe of like the technology of it. So like sound design at the moment is about because I do it in lots of different contexts, but in the club culture, I'm really interested in why or how we could get to a point where our venues just sound fucking great. Like, no more, like, turning up into the club and it's just all mids and clang. Like, what happens if we turn up and it's like, shit, I feel like I'm having the most amazing, I'm inside this music. And it's like, we're at a point now with tech where we can do that. And so I'm like when do we get to the point where we have that space where we have our people we have our community and then the sound does a thing like that's that's where I'm at with it I'm kind of like when do we start thinking about how we heighten the thing that we the spaces that we're creating and I would really love to like you know put that out there and be like think about your venues how do we make this I really like think about the transformation from the body in the space to the music to the, the music being put into the space to how the music sounds in that space. And I would just like, I would love more venues to be really, really thinking about that so that you don't, so that there's always a sense that you're going to the club because you can't get that sound anywhere else as well. Cause like we're doing things like that on headphones. So we're getting a different connection to music at the moment, you know, Apple is saying, yeah, you can now listen to things in immersive ways. I'm like, but we can do that in real spaces. And imagine if you could do that in real spaces with your people, like. When do we do that bit? Uh, so that's kind of where I... That's how I feel about sound design clubs. It means a lot of different things, but I think that, like, that's a question I'd love to put out into club culture. Be like, let's really invest in this thing, you know? And let's really think about the whole experience from I'm making a thing, I'm creating space to... I'm in a space and I do. Ne- I never want to leave this space because this is the best thing I've ever heard. I better come back tomorrow. Oh, it's closed. I better come back on Thursday. Oh, shit, it's 7 a.m. and it's closing. I'll be back in, a, you know, 12 hours, or whatever it is.
3: Yeah, and I, um, I think further to that, I think there's something transformative um, for us to be in a space like that, surrounded by our community or listening to music played by, our community, and then just being feeling safe uh, to be able to express freely express yourself within that. Um, so, hundred percent. I would actually like to talk a little bit about you know some venues within London and within the UK that you feel are safe, secure, accessible. I know there's a lot of different things that we look out for when we choose different venues for queer parties. Um, but why are we choosing the venues that we choose? Um, I know we mentioned sound. I know we mentioned like how we uh, communicate with the venue and security and how, how they have our backs inside the spaces as well, especially when we're trying to uh, prioritize um, our experiences um, and our policies or our intentional spaces um could we talk a little bit about our favorite venues some of our best experiences um why are we choosing the venues that we choose and maybe a little bit about the best sounds that you've had so far
1: um so <clears throat> right i'm gonna be croaky now i'll put a lozenge in my mouth in a minute <laughs> okay <laughs> um obviously without saying obviously but we've got the space has been superstore the glory vogue fabrics i think it was particularly good because it was raw and you could start your night at Vogue Fabrics. It was tiny. But I guess we know those. And the cause was brilliant for me because it was... What I liked about the cause, you could go to the toilet, you come out and go to any room. So it's really easy to get around. And the new cause, it's like we've got to decide, isn't it? Because a few of you are going to go upstairs, downstairs. <laughs> you know, it's, before it was easy, it was just like it's there, there, or there. And I'm just talking general senses. I mean, people getting in and policies and you know, now we've all got to get our ID out. Kind of annoying, isn't it? And if you're an artist, you might you don't have to get your ID out. And then, but now we do the photo. they always let you take a photo now, don't they? If you take the photo, they kind of let you in. So there's this kind of thing. I think the annoying thing now is night tales do it anywhere the kids go do it, and this is kind of like slightly off the point. But Luke Una, who's a pal, he's at the average age of his crowd is 48 or 45 and they are making everyone show ID because they make the 20-year-old show ID. No one had ID that night. So I think I don't like that trend. I understand it's come from the council. It's not happened around the UK, so if you live elsewhere in the UK and it starts happening, go and protest outside. You know what I mean? Because I don't know why they're doing that, really. Um, I was going to mention, because no, in case you don't know, Kimmy and Jake work at Fabric, and that's kind of how we're here. Fabric is Improving, and the reason example going, I was at uh, Fonica Records, 20 years, and a kid came up to me and said, I'm so pleased that you can be proud in here. No, he was a straight lad, maybe a bit queer, but it was nice that someone came up and said that to me, and it wasn't a, the funny thing was, I said, I'm just going to room three. He goes, oh, I'm spoken for, babes. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was nice, the bigger clubs, whether it's the younger, younger generation, are starting to become more diverse and more accepting. You know, they're going to come up to say, just want to say a nice thing to you. So I think that's a good development, which I know is not quite the question you asked, but I think it's important that we can go to, we don't only have to go to five clubs in London. I'm happy to go to any club, I DJ at any place, I don't mind. Obviously, if it's a decent place and it's not a rubbish place and got a bad reputation for being nasty to people, but I'm happy to go to anywhere. And I don't think we should be stuck in only queer spaces. Um sorry then just regarding the best space although it is a new big trendy one that here the one underneath when I mean, that is a good one that's a good spot so i think we're lucky in that the like the, the, the depressed love a negative story yes we have lost a lot of queer spaces but we actually gained a few as well or we gained ones that queer parties can be at. so it isn't all bad
0: I agree with you, definitely. In the context of us, obviously losing a lot of queer spaces, which have been sad, but I think that we've definitely gained a lot in the past in the past few years. Um, for me, I love Color Factory. I'm gonna big up Color Factory every time. I think that they have done an amazing job at creating a space that absolutely welcomes and celebrates queerness and 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 minorities, but also hasn't. Isolated itself From The straights You know So I think that They've done a great job Of that because As as I've said many times A doll that likes To be around Straight men um, It's like A vibe for me You know So yeah Catch me down New Year's That's where I'll be um, so yeah, I love Colour Factory. I had a great, our first experience working with Fabric was just a month ago and I said it a million times, the team there was so great and so supportive and um, obviously being such an iconic venue that has gone through its ups and downs and its high times and its low times, it's just really, really encouraging to see to see a group of, to see a team of people that really want to get it right and are committed to getting it right, so big up Fabric, and yeah. In terms of sound, there's a really great place called Ores in Waterloo that my colleague Ryan did an event for Pussy Palace in for Carnival, and they've got like 16 speakers or some shit all going across the walls, and it's crazy and amazing. So yeah, check them out. Sound designer.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, you also DJ um, as well. Do I do DJ. Yeah. Um, I feel like so because I'm such a sound designing nerd, the thing that I prioritise when I'm... Because de- if I was to think about systems all the time, I would be annoyed and sad. Um, but what I... My, my, like the centre of me is about that space where you feel that thing, where you feel like you're with your people. So in that space... Is what I prioritize, and that's the places that I go to. So there's no venue specifically to me. It's about like the nights. It's the pussy palaces of it, you know. It's the babes when it was there of it all. It's the it's the it's the it's the artist that I'm like, okay, you're playing here, I will go there, and I will love it because of the art that you're giving me. Um, I wish because Aura has come on my radio a few times because um, that's kind of essentially like a club venue where you can have immersive sound. That's what you can get, and I feel like I wish there was more of that essentially because like. We have a lot of small spaces and things like small spaces really, really take immersive sound well because you can really control that and I kind of wish that all these kind of spaces that we find ourselves in, if they would just invest in that, I would love that. Um, But here, I I went to here and I was like, you know what, this is quite a hard venue to get right and this sounds great wherever I go, even if it's like I'm at the bar and I can say the thing to the person on the other side of the bar because of the things that you can control. I think I just like the place where the vibe is and that will be what the night is. That will be what the ethos of the night is. That will be the people that come and the energy that they bring to the place. Um, but yeah, if you hadn't noticed my my little thing is like, hey, can we just like make more, more great venues with immersive sound systems? Let's put 16.4 systems into every venue and just leave it at that. Because I also think that that will give artists real enthusiasm to make different kinds of music. And then we're also looking at what kind of club music are we listening to now? And I would just love, I'd love to just push that boat out and be like, let's just do this thing. Fabric. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, as someone who's been working
3: in the club culture, promote, as a, like in different areas of, of, of nights, so to speak, from like cloakroom to behind the bar to duty manager to like the promoter, the DJ, the door person, like, you know, I've, I've done so many different, parts of organizing different nights even you know safer spaces policies with uh with with Pussy Palace um I feel like I've always had a dream to have like an LG, like a cute queer queer community uh, space specifically for us, like a queer club. Um, I know we have Dawson Superstore and the Glory, um, but I feel like what I've tried to implement in my own practice as a as a promoter and as a as a person working in the music industry is to talk more to clubs and try to give them a chance to change, but also. Kind of implementing that change by giving the background. This is why I feel like if people were able to understand why these spaces are important and why we're prioritizing these things, then you can kind of make those changes. But again, you have to be kind of met halfway. So some of the best venues that I've worked with have been obviously The Glory, Dolston Superstore, but also Evolutionary H- Hackney, um, that new space in, in Dolston. It's got three different spaces uh, Village Underground, Fabric, um, here Out in It. I've worked with quite a few that for me have left like a long lasting good impression. Um, but I think by far my favorite sound has to, has to be the out in air. It's, um, it's really great and fabric of course. Um, so, um, yeah, I feel like that's, um, as a promoter, like one of my one of my biggest priorities is that while we don't have a queer club that's like the outer net version of queer, I feel like what we what we are doing is what Pussy Palace is doing um, in terms of coming into spaces and um, creating that space for us to exist is really, really important. So I wanna like say thank you for all the work that you're doing, continue to do. And when as an educator, Grace as a producer. As as founder of DIY system DIY Sound System and as a legend just generally and obviously Maya, thank you.
1: <laughs> I'm blushing now. I'm blushing.
3: I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, I listened to like loads of your interviews on the way like ahead of this ahead of this uh, panel. So honestly, I can I say that with like my whole heart. <laughs> Um, so I just want to also maybe ask a little bit about what um, what inspires you and what drives you to keep going Um, I know we spoke a lot about the need to create spaces the need to uh, seek more to want more to think more as possible but like is there anything else that drives you is there any people that drive you is there any um, experiences that any goals you want etc
0: I think for me, what drives me is legacy. And I don't say that in an individualistic sense. I'm not talking about my own legacy. I'm talking about the legacy that inherently, like, we're all a part of working in in this game. You know, um, you mentioned so many times, you mentioned a couple of times Gold Snaps and Babes. And I just want to give... Gold Snaps, babes, all of that, that renaissance of like that time. I just want to give everyone their flowers because it really is like such a small, but such beautiful, beautiful part of such a huge legacy that we're all a part of. And for me, I think what drives me and inspires me is just being able to pay that forward and make, you know, the culture even better and nicer for 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 the queer and trans Kids that are gonna come before, come after us, you know. So yeah, it's like it's legacy for me.
1: I mean, I think you're right. <clears throat> for us all sat here and all of us here now, beatport, you know, selling tracks. It's easy now to release a digital track, isn't it? Do you release stuff for Pussy Past, you right? But you release stuff yourself, yeah? Yeah, yeah. But it's easy now if you want to get stuff out there. It's now so easy with the digital stuff. Before pressing a record, et cetera. and it's now pressing a record is very expensive. Mm um but i think for us we've had this sort of chapter 10 where he broke the mold then adonis came so we have got these big queer warehouse parties whatever you want to call them but they are very similar to back then because there's a kind of uni- unifying force whereas the whole point of rave culture was people football scallies and everyone posh whatever lots of income all came together doing XC, hugging each other, la-di-da. I mean, it's a cliche, but it's actually true. So now we've had the queer version of that. And when did Chapter 10 start? Probably seven years ago? Yeah, so, you know, we're in the throes of that, which I think is what you're getting at. So we need to keep it going and make it into a thing that doesn't go away. It is a trendy thing. And Adonis was in ID, face, all the rest of it. And that isn't going to happen forever. But obviously the beauty would be to have a club, a big proper club like a Burke thing. I mean, it's the dream, isn't it? It's obviously the dream, but dreams cost a lot of money, don't they? So we have to keep doing what we're doing. But I think, yeah, we're in a time where it's a great time to be doing what we do, queer spaces. So I guess we need to keep that energy going.
4: I really love what you said about legacy because I think about that in that broad sense and I feel like, okay, when the thing that you can do is you're really good at learning shit and you're really good at teaching shit and you're really good at learning more and more complex shit and you're really good at like, moving in spaces that are uncomfortable for a lot of people that look like you and are like you so then I just kind of I feel like my spot is to just keep moving in those spaces and then in those spaces where people like me don't exist when my siblings turn up I could shepherd them into the thing that they want to do so they're like okay I've found myself in this uncomfortable comfortable space I'll be like I know you don't worry I got you and the for me the legacy is that like when that, you know, that queer or trans person comes into, let's say, Pussy Palace, whatever the event is, or wherever the space is, and they go, shit, I want to do that, That there's, there's a way for them to get there without being lost in the fray, because I think, it, like, because I, I teach, for example, in, like, higher education, I teach, and I like, teach, like, production, and, like, creative music, like, electronic music production, all that kind of stuff, and in those rooms, I can see how my people would get lost. Um, and I just, by my people, I mean the marginalized people who can't function as well in those spaces because they are always a minority. And I want to be in those spaces to be like, don't worry, I got you, this is the back door, off you go. And to me, that's part of being in a legacy because it's like, I want to shepherd all those people back into, I don't know what we'd call it, but I guess the flow. Um, so my the thing that drives me is keep learning, keep getting more things, keep getting bigger spaces, keep knowing more because you have to share that. So it's about how much can I take in? Because all that has got to, have, I want that to all go back to the communities that I belong to and serve and just be that kind of representation. So I think it's just that. And also I, I just love tech. So it's not hard to be really <laughs> like engaged in it. I'm just like, that's some really exciting shit. I can't believe we can do that now. <laughs> and then I'm always interested. But yeah, I think I've reluctantly understood from like sort of starting nights and then being an artist and then like doing all these, like finding myself always as like the only person in that environment being like, I get how I've ended up here, but this is quite a hard way to get here. So I have to be an educator. I have to share that knowledge. There's nothing I can do about that. I think as long as I'm part of the community, I can't really escape that. And so I guess those those two things like feed that feed each other. It's like, I really believe in the spaces. I really believe in the music. I really believe in the club culture. I really believe in the feelings. And I also want everybody who wants to be more in those in a creative way, in a technical way, to be able to learn that in a way where they don't feel like, They don't just get lost because it's really easy to get lost in all of these different spaces where you're supposed to get knowledge from and that sort of thing. And so I just get to do... So that's why I do a lot of different things because I think it's a responsibility to do a lot of different things if I can, to learn a lot of different things if I can because I have to teach all those different things (laughs) because that's just the legacy that I think is important to, like, be... have an eye on is that, like, we need to... You know, if somebody wants to learn to DJ, I will teach you to DJ and I will do it, you know... In whatever environment you need, if it's one to one, or I'll you know I'll be on this course. If you have a different, you know what I mean. Like it's to me, it's that same thing. It's like we're all part of this wave, and the bit that I'm trying to do is how much can I, what what do I really really have, and how big can I make the thing that I can offer, and then give that to people over and over and over and over again, essentially. Thank you very much. Um, I think that
3: that was our last question. And I think we're going to open it up to the audience for some Q&As. And I've got some backup questions in case y'all don't have any questions. Um, So does anyone have any questions for any of our beautiful panellists?
4: Yes. Um, Hello. This is not a question. I just wanted to add something to the conversation around clubs that create queer spaces. Um, I feel like I just wanted to shout out to Safe Only, who are doing queer welfare in uh, loads of nights. Um, and also the work they do at Fold. Uh, I think Fold is a club who a club which has incredible sound system. Didn't club. get
1: a mention actually. Oversight. Yeah. I think I think appear. not
4: only the the sound system, but also with Unfold, what they've created for the queer community, the techno queer community, is amazing. So I just wanted to shout out to those two.
1: Yeah, there's a few Unfolders in. I think. Yeah, <laughs> the tall one on the right.
3: Yeah, does Safe Only work with y'all?
0: Um, yeah, we've been at a couple of venues that the the venues have been trained by Safe Only. We've done a couple of events as well where we haven't even needed PB support because Safe Only has been in the building. If I remember, all these events honestly merge into one. Um, but yeah, we've definitely worked with Safe Only in some capacity. <laughs> but I'm um, very, very, very well acquainted with the work and big up
1: them. They're, they're really amazing.
3: It talks to that um, point about welfare that we had at the beginning.
1: Well, it does. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think they should be going everywhere, really. Well, any well, any big place is trying to put a queer event on.
3: Um, does anyone have any other questions? Well, I have a question, actually, Um, kind of veering off from what we talked about, but still in line with it. I'd like to talk about what has been some of your pivotal moments or what has been the pivotal moment in your career as a DJ, as a producer, as a musician, as yourself, a promoter. Um,
1: Obviously, I've had it. It's been a long time since the free party days. We went to Ibiza in 91. So not quite the house, which was 89, but we, we played all the clubs. Amnesia, Space Terrace was popping. And Space Terrace was queer. I mean, this is what people don't really realise now. You go to Ibiza, I'll take this the wrong way around, but last time I went to Ibiza, Ibiza is not queer anymore. I was kicked out of the toilet at Pikes. I'm a pretty bitch as far as I'm concerned. I was kicked out of the ladies' toilet. And he was like, what? I mean, me and it was a member of the cleaning staff. I speak French. They were, uh, I think, French Senegalese. So we managed to talk eventually after the fourth time. And we was. I wanted to get on a level. It wasn't her fault. She had just not seen anyone queer at Pikes in the 10 days she'd been there. You know what I mean? And we sorted out. Um, my partner carried on. We got a bottle of Ciroc and all the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, but... It just kind of summed it up. She was kicked me out. And there were people in each gender tolerance all night, but she didn't realise what was going on. You know what I mean? So that Pike's, you know, the epitome, of, well, it's currently the most popular sort of club. So that's, unfortunately, Ibiza isn't really very queer now. So, but anyway, to go back to it. So back then, there was a huge queer community in Ibiza town and it all obviously used to get into free, and there was kind of proto club kids, brilliant outfits. So DJing there was definitely, although I didn't really realise it at the time, because you tend not to sometimes, do you? that was absolutely brilliant. We played all the clubs, but that was the best one. It was like a sort of Sunday session now here, but the sun's out. And it's still the cheesy thing. The plane goes over, and everyone cheers. There's another 250 people coming. They've got full purses and wallets. So there's that. And then I guess the NYC down low, me and... Yeah, that's the one. We can't forget that. And me, and me and my friend Pete, we were digs and wash back then. We played it from the start. We missed one. But I mean, it's we were there literally when it was just kind of hanging off the rafters, you know, just a poor flung up thing. You know, it's brilliant. It's absolutely you cannot, it's the best club in the world, albeit for only four days. It still is. Even now it's so successful that people queue up ridiculously from like 9 p.m. And I get, I'm sure you we all get this. Two weeks before Glastonbury, I have to put it in my diary. I just get about 50 people going, Baby, can you get me tomorrow night? Baby, can you get me tomorrow night? I know that. Day. So, but you know, the down low and respect to Stephen, Gideon, and everyone and Sizzle, that grew. I mean, basically, I mean, I've been going to Glastonbury since 1987. Again, we're not going on about stuff, but East London goes to Glastonbury. I mean, that's what the down low is. I no, mean, it is. I mean, it's beautiful. So, I guess they're my two pivotals.
4: Thank you so much. Can I just say something about that as well? Me, who's like always like shitting on sound, it seems like. But when I was in L- NYC Download, and I was that was one of the moments. That I went to I went to Glasgow. I went in there, and I was like, "This sounds fucking amazing." I think it was a combination of the bodies and everything. But I think that was one space where I was like, "This is all of the things." It really was. Yeah, it does all come it was together. All of the yeah. things in that space. Forgot the question, so.
3: Uh, it was one of what is a one of your pivotal or what is the pivotal moment in your career? Do
4: you know, what, there's so many, but I, it's hard to know. But I feel like the the personal wins that I have because I feel like I'm always evolving and like things that I think I'll never achieve just to kind of happen. And whenever they happen, they don't seem that deep. And I think that's the thing that happens, right? Yeah. When you're like, wow, I can't wait for that thing to happen. And then when it actually happens, you're like, oh, I guess that's happening. Um, so what you would expect for me to say is not really how I feel about it. I think the seminal moments for me will be things like the, like seeing the day when I decided, you know, what, I'm going to do this thing. And then one day being like, I'm doing that thing. <laughs> um, so even thinking about like a journey to here, this is all predicated on like, you know, I'm going to say a hundred years ago. I was, cause I started off as a musician and like a session musician. And there was always somebody like producing music for me. And then I was like collaborating with some friends, and one of my friends was like the main like producer of the band. Um, And this is when I lived in Leeds at the time. And so I then moved to London, and I was like, you know, let's just like keep collaborating like across the city. And it was it was quite hard to like get him to like send me files or take me seriously. And then one day he was like, you know, just stop waiting around to get spoon fed, which was it was devastating. But I was like, fuck you, man. And now I look at where I am. And I'm like, thanks, dude. <laughs> that's a really seminal moment because I think my entire journey with everything that I do is basically predicated on the moment that somebody like treated me like shit. And I was like, no, I'm going to do something else. And that's like, so that's everything else that's happened is basically traced back to, I'd say, that moment. <laughs> and that's my seminal moment. It was like, you know, move to London shafted by my mate yeah sorry <laughs> like... to get
1: put, the fuck you is a very strong energy isn't
4: it? I've been feeding off of it ever since
1: <laughs> yeah um for me,
0: I think yeah same as what once said there's so many um I often talk with this about Nadine like I get quite overwhelmed by the amazing moments that happen like I, it's a weird feeling of, like, underwhelmed and overwhelmed because in the moment, you don't know, deep how amazing everything is and then, like, in hindsight, you'll be at the end of the night and be like, oh, my God, like, at this one Percy Palace event, I saw, like, a dance-off over there. I saw Vogas doing this over there. It felt like a film, you know? So I think, like, in in this kind of setting that I'm working in, like, life is really like a movie sometimes, you know? It can be crazy, but in terms of... So that's never lost on me. But then in terms of the personal, pivotal moments or great moments, I guess one of my most recent was I released my debut. It wasn't even really a single. It was just like an interlude, self-produced. Um, I'm a, I'm a singer and an artist as well. We didn't get to talk about it too much here today. But yeah, that's what I mainly do. And um, it was my first release as Maya. So since my transition and like I woke up a week later and there was this BBC News article and it was like, oh, London artist breaks record for being the first trans woman ever to be on the BBC Asian network playlist or whatever. And that was crazy, bittersweet, because you never, first of all, I always take those things with a pinch of salt, because like, who do you know who's trans and not? You know, there could have been loads of trans people who were on this playlist before who didn't have the support systems to come out. So I always take it with a pinch of salt. But just that language, seeing that on like a BBC News website, Initially, it was kind of lost to me. I was like, okay, whatever. But then my little cousin, who's like 12, seen me one day and she was like, oh my God, my friends at school were talking about you. I was like, what are they saying? She's like, oh, they were saying you were on the BBC. And I was like, that's mad. Like if I, at 12 years old, as a young Punjabi, you know, trans babe, saw that... Um, that probably would have made made life a little bit easier for me and steered me in the in the right direction a bit sooner. So wow. when when my cousin told me that, that was a real real moment for me, and I'm, I'm thankful to you know, yeah. yeah. Wow. Big up my uh... wow.
3: It's such a beautiful track too. I love it.
0: Thank you. I think
3: um, definitely for me, I've had lots of ups and downs working in the music industry and working in in the nightlife. Um, and there's been a lot of times where I'm just like, what am I doing? Like completely lost. Um, but one of my favorite moments was actually when around the time when we started Gold Snap and Pussy Palace and BBZ. And there was like this like golden two year period where everything just felt fucking great. And every, everyone was just like on it. Everything was, uh, uh, yeah, I had so many laughs, had the best dances, took the most uh, time off work. Um, <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> But I think that sometimes I, I like, I get to this point now. It's been now seven, seven, eight years since then. And I'm, I'm still like, what am I doing? And I'm consistently questioning everything around me. How, what could I do better? What could I change? Um, but if I were to look back and t- like talk to myself from seven years ago or even 10 years ago, I wouldn't have imagined myself in this space where I am now. Um, so I would like to ask y'all what, if you could talk to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give or what piece of advice would you give to a younger individual that's not yourself, that's just starting up in the, in the industry now?
0: Um if I could talk to my younger self, I'd say, you're a girl, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> grow your hair out, grow them titties out, pass them ways and just start. Um but if <laughs> but if I was just talking to a younger, queer trans person, yeah, I would say um I don't know why I would say you bitches got a lot easier than I did like what can I tell you just go for the joy but just be brave and and always choose your own joy like definitely choose your own joy over everything else that's what I would say that's what it comes down to ultimately
1: I think I'd say hold on baby it's going to be a wild ride
4: Shit. I mean, I'd probably say the same, Um, but I'd also be a bit like, you know, that shit that you're doing that you think is really important and nobody seems to like give a shit. It is really important. Just keep doing that shit. And like that bit inside of you that's like, I really should spend 12 hours doing this thing because I flow and I'm really like in it. And it feels like it's the only time that time makes sense. That's the only kind of thing you need to follow. I'd probably say that like you've known all along. Don't get sidetracked with this mess. Just do that. Just do the thing that you love. Just do that because that's where you're going. Um, And I would have been like, don't worry, you're going where you want to go. It might look weird, but you're still going there. Something like that. Thank you.
3: Thank you guys very much. Um, I think my piece of advice would be comparison is the killer of joy. I'm always looking out what other people are doing and not, sometimes not focusing enough on myself, my self-care, my routine, what I want to do, what I want to focus on. And I think that if I were to talk to myself back in the day, if I had the opportunity, I would be like, don't do that. Comparison is the killer of your joy. Focus on your joy. And I think a lot of what you were saying about, about that. Um, so I think that's time. Then we got to now we're probably over time now but i uh, just want to give a round of applause please to our panelists yeah Mwen, grace and maya big up beeport for having us big up love childs thank you guys very much and
2: and um, just quickly uh speaking about small venues and that and good sound systems we are doing a party tonight where uh, Grace is going to play like a three hour set in a Aww. very small, 100 capacity venue, one of the best sound systems in London, uh, in uh, Little Portland Street. And you're all invited. It starts at 11 and finishes at 5 a.m. And we're going to do exactly what we talked about tonight. So, yeah. yeah. So please, if you need info, Find Kimmy or myself, and I uh, will send you the details. And thank you, everyone, for coming. And thanks for the panelists; it's been brilliant. And also, just really quickly, that Josh Cafe is obviously founder of Love Child, and uh, he couldn't be here tonight because he's uh, feeling ill. Uh, but he sends his love, and that's all I have to say.
3: Also, stick around. We've got a, stick around. We've got a DJ set by um, Ryan Lavelle um, for about an hour. And go,
1: yeah, go Ryan. And thank you, Jin. <laughs>
0: Thank, Thank, you, Jake. Thank
1: you. Beatport presents, presents, Beatport presents, Beatport presents, Beatport presents. Decoding the music industry.